Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for bringing us out this morning. So wonderful to see all your faces this morning. Uh, we love you so much, and we're just happy to be here together. Amen. Amen. Um, church, I would like for you this morning uh, to turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. We're going to talk about virtuous living this morning, church. A virtuous life, a virtuous life, a life of virtue, a life that we can... Uh, we can, uh, we're basically staking, a, a, staking a, our, our claim in the Lord, staking our claim in the Lord with, with this type of life. Joseph, it's good to see you, man. How's the spider bite doing, dude? Yeah, Joseph had, went, had, to go to the, had to go to the hospital, the emergency room, because he had a big old spider bite on him. Did you catch the spider? No? Too bad, man. What if it gets somebody else, man? You got to kill them. You got to take care of them. You're doing okay, though? You feeling better? Good. Very good. Very good. All right. What I want to do here today, church, is I want to go through some thoughts on Second Peter and what the Lord is showing us through uh, his words. <coughs> Excuse me. Specifically pertaining to the greatness of his promises. Um, anybody know about the promises of God? Anybody know that God promises things for his people? Amen? Uh, mm, that's it's something that we, oh, it's, it's just something that makes me happy. It's something that gives me joy. It's something that fires me up is the promises of God. Because of how they affect our lives. And then how we, in turn, in response to the promises of God, can live a virtuous life according to the Bible. So let's ask God for help here. God, we ask you, Lord, just please, Lord, to be with us. Lord, be with me. Lord, give me uh, the words to speak. Your words, God. The words you want me to speak, Lord. Not my own, but yours, God. Without influence from the world, but, Lord, completely and absolutely influenced by the Holy Spirit. God, help us to navigate through these scriptures. And help us to hear from you, God. Help us to listen to what you're telling us, each individually in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So our God, <clears throat> church, newsflash, our God is a God of promise. Our God is a God of promise, of great promise. He's a God of great promise. And uh, just listen to this in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That is a promise from God. That's not the promise you were kind of thinking about, was it? And you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. We're talking about good stuff, man, not bad stuff, right? Okay. We need to know, though, we need to know who our God is. It's important to know who our God is and that there are promises that affect us to the positive and there are also promises that affect us to the negative. There are promises of greatness and promises of condemnation from our God. We need to know who our God really is. Amen? Listen, man, we, we, we like this candy cane Jesus. We love the, 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 you know, the sunflower Jesus, the, you know, oh, let me just run through a field of wildflowers and just get in it and frolic and roll around and everything. That's, that's, that's the Jesus we like. That's a Jesus we want to talk about all the time. But listen, we need to know who Jesus really is. We need, we need to know who God really is. And we need to know what happens when we don't heed his word. 
And these are the kinds of things that happen. But let's go a little further. Maybe, maybe this is more what you're thinking about. Let me, let's just go into verse 7, because this is right next to it. That was verse 6. This is verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the, ste- by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Oh, now, now we're talking. Now that's a good one. That's something that we can, woo, baby, right? Listen. I grow stuff. Y'all probably grow stuff. I grow all kinds of plants. I have a little pond in my backyard and everything, and I converted an old boat into a pond. Um, And so I know what it means, and I've also had fish tanks and aquariums for years and years. I have a saltwater aquarium in my my house, and um, I've I've grown plants in water um, and and all that stuff. I've I've done this for years. I know what it means to to have roots planted by the stream. I know what that means. I know what that is for a plant. Yeah, I, mean, I have pothos right now, and you guys know what pothos is. It's like the IV they sell pretty much everywhere. You can get it anywhere, big box store, Lowe's or Walmart. HEB even has some. Um, well, I have, I have pothos growing out of a filter box in my pond. Man, that thing, as soon as I put it in water, it was inside the house, okay? It was inside the house. It was, you know, kind of just barely getting light from an indoor, indoor light, you know? And, and these things can grow in any kind of light. You can grow them in the bathroom. Uh, you know, you can, you can grow them in, in, your, in your closet, basically. If you get a little bit of light in there, a pothos will grow. But once I put it into that filter box and it's taking up all the nutrients from the, you know, fish stuff and everything, you know, when they eat and uh, then they, you know, whatever. And so it's, it's taking up all the nutrients, all the nitrogen from the water. And then those roots, they, woof, man, they start growing. And that pothos started overflowing. And I also had a canna lily. I had canna lily growing in that filter box as well. So I had pothos and canna lily growing side by side in that filter box. Sooner or later, I started noticing... Man, my pond is losing water really fast. I don't know what's going on with it. I was losing water fast. I got another leak in it. I got another leak. And I already had two leaks that I had to cover up, so I had to drain the pond twice and silicone the leaks that I had, right? Because I didn't know that there were leaks inside the pond um, it's because it was a boat. And so then after I fill the, with the silicone and everything and, 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 and I fill it back up and everything and I'm losing water again, I'm thinking, what is going on with this pond? I'm done. I've had it with this stinking boat pond thing, right? Well... I noticed when I went back to the filter box that I had water shooting up, and I was thinking, oh, it's the overflow. It's like the little air release valve, and, and when, whenever, the pond, uh, whenever the water gets too high in the filter box, it's, it's got its own safety mechanism, so it starts shooting water out so that it doesn't overflow. Well, the reason it was doing that, and I pulled out the pothos and the canna lily, and it was literally shaped like the filter box. It was packed in that tight. It was so root-bound in there that it wasn't allowing any water from the filter to go around and go into the filter. Uh, I have a filter that's over here in the pond. It's like this. And then I have a tube that goes around, and it fills the, the overflow box, and that's what spills into the pond. Well, when the water comes around, it's not getting back into the pond. It's shooting out the back because the roots had grown so thick and dense. I know what it means for roots to be planted by water or in water and what that means for those plants they will grow they will stay green they will be nourished this is what god is promising his people if we are planted in him church he is promising listen you will grow to overflowing you will be provided for and fed to overflowing in fact this world cannot contain you just like that filter box couldn't contain those roots this world cannot contain the goodness of god that he will make true in your life if you are planted in him 
This is our God, and this is how much he loves us and what he provides for his people. This is the promise of God. So that's more like it, that, that little, uh, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. Because roots want to look for water. You know that, right? They want to look for water. They want to look for water. That's why they tell you when you plant something, you know, may, maybe it's not a, such a good idea to fertilize right when you plant because then all the roots want to stay right there. They don't want to go out and look for food. They don't want to, and when you water, maybe you don't want to just water the root ball. You want to water around the area as well so that the roots can try to find water and try to find nutrients in other places. And the roots can grow and the tree can flourish or the shrub or the plant or the tomato tree, a uh, little plant or whatever you got. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Amazing promise. Amazing promise. Now, I wanted to read those verses that are written together in the same book right after one another. Because remember, that's just the stream. That's uh, it's a stream of thought from Jeremiah uh, from verse 5 to 8. Verse 5 and 6 were that, you know, that promise of condemnation for those who don't know the Lord, don't love the Lord. And then 7, seven and 8, or 5 and 6 were those, and then 7 and 8 are, are, are the goodness of God for those who do know Him and love Him. Because regardless of people, uh, what, what, what people will say or what, what you'll hear in the world or what your flesh wants to believe, we need to know who God really is. And we need to know that these things exist together. We need to know that we can be one type of person or we can be another. Those who love God or those who rebel against Him. And now, to be sure, those who love God will even have moments of rebellion. But those who love God, even though through the, even through the, the moments of rebellion, will always come back to God. Amen? Y'all, have, have you ever sinned in your life? Anybody in here ever sinned? Anybody in here? Yep, that's right. I should see every hand go up. I should see both hands. I should see both feet. And I should see noses up in the air. You know what I'm saying? Because that's who we are as people. But let me tell you something. We always come back, don't we? We always confess that sin, we always repent, we always come back. And why? Because we've got roots planted by the stream. And we're going to go out and we're going to look for food. And where are we going to look for food? We're going to look in the Word of God. We're going to look while we're in prayer. We're going to look while we're in communication with God so that He can continue to feed us with the water of the Word. Amen. Now I want to move forward to some New Testament writings from the Apostle Peter. And I want to see what he's telling us regarding our Lord and how we can get some freedom knowing that our God is a God of great promise. But first, let's get another example from the book of Jeremiah, of a wonderful promise from the Lord. This is something you may be familiar with. This is from Jeremiah chapter 29. And I'm going to start in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill you, I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, isn't that amazing? If you're feeling like you're in exile this morning, church, remember that the Lord has a promise to bring you back to him. Maybe there's some disobedience in your life. I want to I just, just 
challenge you this morning, urge you, and encourage you. Trust the Lord through obedience. Love Him through obedience. Love Him and give your life over to Him completely. Come back to Him. Confess that sin. Repent of it. The Lord is a good God, and He will always forgive those who seek His forgiveness. Now, let's, let's go into 2 Peter in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. All right. Verse 1, 2 Peter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, now this is beautiful. I want to break right here real quick. Because we're being greeted by Peter, the Apostle Peter, and we're also being exhorted by the very words he uses. We're being taught, we're being challenged, encouraged, brought close to God by these words. And we're being reminded of our promise from God in Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter's, uh, Peter words this here and, and how he puts the word servant before the title that he has been given. All right? Simeon Peter, a servant, and you can also, maybe your Bible says Simon Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Servant first, isn't he? A servant first. In fact, the position of apostle is a servant's position, isn't it? Because we know that we follow a God who is a servant, don't we? Jesus Christ served, came to serve. He came, came to seek and save the lost by serving the people. And ultimately, he would serve himself up as he was crucified on our behalf and punished for what we deserve. <clears throat> we need to see ourselves, church, as servants first. Before anything else that we are in this life, we need to see ourselves as servants first. Servants First, always, lest we get puffed up and boastful about our standing with God or our standing in the church, how many years we've known Him, been following Him, we need to be reminded and take heart in the fact that we are servants first, all of us together in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us, me included, we're together in this because we're servants together. We serve alongside one another, right? That's what we do. This is who we are. This is what the church is. But I want to go even further and even deeper with this word. The actual word in the Greek is doulos. You may have heard me mention that before. It's an important word for me. The word servant, right? The word translated servant. English word servant is the, the Greek word doulos. And now, the, the, here's the biblical usage of this word. Now, the word means slave. That's what it means. Doulos. Literary translation, Slave. Some of your Bibles may have it uh, translated bondservant. We know that the word slave is, man, that's a, that's a finicky word, isn't it? Because of what this country has undertaken, you know, for hundreds of years of what it did to, to the, to the, to the African-American community, to people and, and, and slave and slavery and all that stuff. We know that that, that abomination took place. And so there's, there, there's also a, uh, there's, there's a reluctance to use that word in translating the Bible. 
But what we need to know is that God has a different use for it. That God's word slave does not mean what the world's word slave is. Because slavery to God, I mean, let me, let me, let me, let me show you this. It's a slave, a man of servile condition or a woman of servile condition. A slave, metaphorically, one who gives himself or herself up to another, uh, one who gives himself up to another's will, those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among people. Devoted to one, uh, or devoted to another person to the disregard of one's own interests. This is what a slave is for God. That we are devoted to another. Regardless of our, in, our own interests, we are devoted to the will of another. Now in Christendom, or in Christianity, what we're talking about is that we're devoted to the will of God regardless of our own interests. This is what it means to be a servant, a doulos, a slave, a bondservant of Christ. That we are devoted to Him. That we have given our will, our life over to Him to do as He would have us do. Does that make sense? Now, can you regard yourselves this way today, church? Is this true of you in your life with God? Are you a doulos for Christ? Are you? Is that who you are? I pray it is, church. And if not, or maybe you've not given it much thought until now, I pray that you would give your life to Christ all the way so that this would be true of you, that you would be found a doulos, a slave of Christ, and this is pure devotion, church. This is what we're talking about, pure devotion. But it's also not being taken against your will. It is willingly giving yourself over. Willingly giving yourself over for the cause of Christ. This is what we should all be striving for. And maybe you could say, but that's them, though. That, that was, it was different back then. That's Peter. He's, he's talking about, he also says he's an apostle, He's different. They're different. They're different than us. Well, the second part of that verse calls us to attention and puts that one to rest. Because listen to the second part of that verse. Now back to verse 1. <clears throat> 2 Peter 1, 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours... By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, our faith is of equal standing with theirs. Tell me if that's not freedom for you. Tell me if that's not music to your ears, that you have a faith of equal standing, even to the Apostle Peter. This would seem to suggest that it also means the Apostle Paul, even John, James, right? He isn't so puffed up, Peter is not, to think that he is any better than you or I. And this is an amazing thing. This is what true Christianity is. True Christianity is a Christianity and a love without envy. It's not a competitive love where we compete with other Christians or, or pastors like me compete with other pastors. It's, it's not a competition. Sure, we are running the race of life, but we are not competing. We are running alongside one another. If someone's running ahead of me and falls, guess what I'm going to do when I come by? I'm going to pick them up so that we can run together. Not so I can beat them, so we can run together. Christian love is a love without envy. It is a love without boasting. 
Not boasting in ourselves, only boasting of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Peter is not so puffed up to think that he's any better than you or me. And I pray that this is a message for our hearts this morning. Listen to verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now grace and peace are remarkable here because uh, we can learn that the text is talking about grace and peace in ways that are um, hard for us to know in the world. Without the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, this grace and this peace that he's talking about is it's difficult for us to grasp. What does that really mean? What does grace and peace in this time now mean? What did it mean back then? What does it mean now? Well, let me tell you something. Grace and peace then means the same thing it means now. This is the beautiful part of, of the Bible, the beautiful part of Scripture, is that culture does not dictate the meaning of the words. Society does not dictate the meaning of the words. Because the truth of God is objective truth. It's not subjective. In other words, it's not subject to my own whims. It's not subject to my emotions. It's not subject to what's going on in culture now or what happened 2,000 years ago. It is objective truth. It stands alone. And nothing can change that truth because God is also immutable. He is unchanging. And that is part of the nature and the essence of God. Now, in the Greek... He's talking about well-being, tranquility, sweetness, joy, security, grace and peace. Grace and peace. I loved that part of this definition was sweetness. Ooh, he's, he's, he's literally praying and declaring sweetness over your life. That you would have sweetness in your life. Think about that. Think about that. That you would have joy and tranquility. That... That, that you would have real peace. Now, now, part of this definition also means that, you, you know, yeah, back then they were, all, they, they, were, um, they were afraid of war all the time. There, was, there were warring nations all the time. Does that remind you of anything? anything? You know what I'm saying? We have weird relationships this country does with other, with other countries. And there's always a fear of war. And even though these, some peace deals and agreements have been made lately, which praise be to God for those, for those things, especially stuff that's going on in the Middle East. But let me tell you something. This world's peace isn't real peace. It's not a state of tranquility. This world's peace is really Cold War. That's what it is. It's really just putting a damper on it just for a little while until you make me mad, and then I'm going to bomb you. That's what it is. I'm going to send some jets over, right? We're going to go steal some intelligence so that our fighters can have stealth stealth technology just like your fighters, which that's happened. American technology has been stolen, right, by the Chinese. They have stealth fighters because they stole it from us, the technology. This kind of thing is Cold War. Even though we're not really at war with China, we're not shooting bombs, they're trying to steal our technology. And this is not only China, it's other countries as well. This is what happens in this world. We are not really in a state of tranquility. We are at Cold War. We are doing things behind the scenes, collecting intelligence, doing all these things supposedly for the sake of national security. But let me tell you something, that's not God's peace. God's peace is sweetness. God's peace and grace are joy and peace and tranquility. It's, it's, it's not being in fear of war. It's literally having a tranquil state. It is shalom. It is being at peace all the time. Your entire being literally experiencing a state where you're not worried about anything. And there's no fear from on the horizon. That is what the peace of God really is. 
And isn't that a good thing? Don't we want that? I want it. I want it now, I'll tell you what. But we need the work of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to show us what these things really mean. And he wants that to be multiplied to you, he says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, not just for a day, but for every day. Not just for a moment's time, some days, but for all moments and all days. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Be multiplied to you. Grace that has the power to save. A grace and a peace that is full and a peace that holds us tightly into the arms of our God and lets us know that we are safe and secure. A peace that surpasses understanding that lets us know that He will never leave us and never forsake us. That is, that is peace. And these are real promises from God. And they are wonderful words seasoned with salt from a man who is a slave for Christ, the Apostle Peter, fully devoted to the point of death, caring not for his own interests, but for the interests of Christ. And now through the promises of God and his very own grace by which we live and are saved, we are urged by Peter to confirm our calling and election. And this is why he says we can do it. Listen to verse 3 here. Now quickly, the election of God or the elect are the group of people that belong to God. They are called by God according to his sovereign will and given over into the hand of Christ. According to John 6. This is confirming our calling, confirming our election. This is how we do it. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm so, gra- I'm so grateful that it does not say His divine power has granted us some things. A little bit. I'm so... Im- I'm just impressed with God. That He would word things this way. Because it is of His very essence and nature to give us promises like this. And life in this way. His divine power has granted to us, what church? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So again, we did not call ourselves. It is no work of our own that has decided upon our own interest that we need God. God calls first and then we Respond through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's not calling you to your own glory, church. He's not calling you to your own excellence. He's calling you to his glory and his excellence. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world... Because of sinful desire. So first, he has granted us again all things pertaining to life and godliness. Second, how has he granted us? Uh, how has he granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness? Well, the scripture says, by his divine power. By his divine power, the power of God, the divinity of God. His very essence, His nature, His character, His power is granted to us by the divine. 
His own divinity, his divine power has granted us these things. Now remember, what does his divine power do? Now we're quick to remember divine miracles, right? The feeding of the 4,000, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water. Um, where even in the Old Testament, manna raining down from heaven. In the New Testament, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, right? We're, we're quick to remember these kinds of things. Lazarus being raised from the dead. Amazing. The blind seeing, right? The lame walking, the deaf hearing. We are, um, these are amazing things. These are divine miracles of God. These are divine miracles. We're, we're quick to, re- to remember those things about his divine power. But are we also thinking of the daily living that he is working out in us? The moments of time in our own lives. When he helps you to recognize who you really are in him. He helps you to recognize where maybe you've gone wrong so that you would come back to him. Helps you to recognize the truth about him in your own life as you live it. He's working it out in us, church, so that we can learn to walk in step with him. And that is divine power. Because it is power from the Holy Spirit himself that allows us to even recognize these things. And we need the Spirit's power in order to recognize these things. You know, people want to hold revivals and healing services and ask for signs and wonders and miracles. but, But what of the daily living we should be focusing on as well? I'm all for, you know, signs from God, miracles, healing. I'm all for that stuff, revival. It's in the Bible. I'm not going to downplay what the scripture says. I'm for that. I'm for it. But what of the life with God walking in step with him? What of that? What of that? In truth, I believe that people may be asking for signs, wonders, and revivals because they find this part of Christian living hard. The daily living part. And they're trying to come back to him. So they're asking for signs, miracles, and wonders, and revivals, and healings because they're finding it hard to live daily, moment by moment, with God. They're finding a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Well, Hebrews tells us that there is a wonderful thing that can divide even the soul and the spirit. And that is the word of God. And it is a two-edged sword. It's so sharp that it will cut you. And help you to realize what's true and what's false. What you want in your flesh and what you want by the Spirit. And we went over some of that last week from Romans 7. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that sword. He's talking about the division within us. People want to be revived by God. People need signs, miracles, or spectacles. But we shouldn't need these things. Remember that the Pharisees continued to ask Jesus for a sign after he'd given so many. Let me tell you a sign that Jesus has given you. Let me tell you a sign right now. You have it. It is the very word of God that you read from. That is a miracle from heaven. The fact that it has lasted this long, the fact that it continues to speak a better word than any other word that this world could ever speak. The very words of God himself written in pages that you can pull up now on an electric device. I mean, this is pretty remarkable that I have this thing that's got the Bible on it. I mean, this is 
That's pretty remarkable. We've literally, we have more access, easier access to the Bible now than ever. And I would dare to argue that it's being read less now than it ever has. More access, well, if we just had more access, if I just could get it at my fingertips. Well, now you got it. So what are you going to do with it? We need to live for God today. And the miracle of God to give us his word, and for that to last for centuries upon centuries upon centuries upon centuries, God's word, when I'm dead and gone in this world, God's word is still going to be alive. It's still going to be here. Because God's word doesn't need me to exist. It doesn't. It exists because he does. And because he exists, his words will always exist. He is forever, and so are his words. It is the forever truth that we can always look to, to guide us and lead us, so that we can be in step with him every, in every day and every moment of our lives. The wonderful truth is that he has given us the very nature to walk with him in the spirit. If we walk with him, in step with him, and put down and resist the temptations of the world, he says that we won't fall. In verse 3, listen to this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, again, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. People don't place enough emphasis on knowledge of God. Again, through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of Him. We don't place enough emphasis on knowledge of God. How, how, what's another way to say that? We don't, we don't get to know God enough. We don't get to know God well enough. We don't get to know God well enough through the scripture. We don't get to know God well enough through daily living. We don't get to know God well enough in, in work. We don't get to know God well enough in family. We don't get to know God well enough in school. We don't, we don't in, in everything, we, we have foregone knowledge of God and knowing God. For all these other things, these passions that we have in the world. But God is calling you back to himself. To know him, to really know him. If we know him, it said, because knowing him is the key to all of this, right? Knowing him. If we know him, then we are partakers of this promise through him. And it says that also that we are partakers of the divine nature. If we know him. So knowing him, tell me if you think knowing him is important. If knowing him is the hinge by which you become partakers of the divine nature. You want to be a partaker of the divine nature? You've got to know him. You've got to know him. Know him. Know him. Know him. His own glory and excellence grants us his promises, which Peter calls precious and very great. He says, when we are granted the promises of God by knowing God, then we are partakers of the divine nature. And what does it do for us to be partakers of the divine nature, church? 
Well, Peter says that it means that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, let me ask you this. Do you want to escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire? Because, oh my God, I do. I want to escape that corruption. I want to be free from its grasp, free from its hold, free from becoming stained by it. This is a forever escape, by the way, a forever escape. We have escaped the corruption from the world. This is a truly amazing promise here given to you by God through the Apostle Peter's words. We need to be unstained by the world or uncorrupted. And we only do that by knowing God and him granting us this promise. And where do we hear this about being unstained by the world? I'm glad you asked, church. Let's go into James 1, 26 and 27 quickly. If anyone thinks, in verse 26, James 1, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Do you think it's important the things you say based on that scripture? The things you say, the things you perpetuate in this world, all that talk you've been doing about other folks, just, just stop. 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 No matter how bad they are, stop. Let me talk to other people about other people. There's a sin in the Bible. It's called gossip. And that's what that is. Stop. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure, oh, listen to this, religion that is pure and undefiled, undefiled before God, before God the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That means no commingling with the world. Keep oneself unstained from the world. I'm a big-time clothing stainer. Anybody else? Huh? I'll even stain stuff in the washer, baby, let me tell you. I had, some, I had a whole load of laundry the other day, okay? Man came out, jeans, shirts, all with this black mark on them. Everything in there, black mark, black mark. I'm thinking, what was in there? And Morgan's like, well, you've been working with black mulch lately. And I'm like, I know, and I think some of it got in there somehow or something. Right? Some, something got in there. Man, even when I'm trying to clean things, I'll stain them all up. I'm just, I don't know. I just ain't got it together, I guess. But listen, it's easy to become stained. Because we work in the world, don't we? We work in the world. We deal with people in the world. We go to school in the world. Right? Some of our families are in the world. But let me tell you something. You're called to be citizens of another kingdom while you still live in this world. You're called to belong to God. You're called to realize that you are a pilgrim here. You're indigenous both and a pilgrim. Indigenous, you're, you were born here, but you're also a pilgrim because you're not from here. Make sense? Indigenous pilgrims. That's what we are in this world. 
Keep yourself uncorrupted, unstained from the world. It's incredible. I couldn't make it up if I wanted to. It just runs together because it all has the same ultimate author. Because God himself is our writer, church. God himself is our writer. He's the writer of all of this. And his word does not return empty to him. It will go out into the world and accomplish the work that he set out for it to accomplish. Do you know that? That God's God's word is going to do its work. We can try to become attractional and do all these different things so that we can attract people to the church or attract them to Christianity. But at the end of the day, it's the Word that does the work. The Word that does the work. Because I don't have the words of eternal life if I don't have the Bible. I don't have them. In and of myself, I don't don't have anything special, church. God made me specific and unique to be able to do something for him, because of him, through him. And without him, I can't do it. But in him, I can. Because in him, I have the strength of God. In him, I have the wisdom of God. In him, I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. In him, I have the joy of heaven. In him, I have greatness because of the Holy Spirit within me. But in and of myself, when I say no to God, then I'm also saying no to the divine nature. And I all of a sudden have lost it all. Okay, verse 5. 2 Peter 1, 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Woo! Hmm. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Anybody in here take vitamins? Anybody? Yeah? How about, okay, if you don't take vitamins, how many, y'all take medication? Yeah? Yeah? A lot of people take medication. Okay. Well, it's easy to take medication and vitamins for some of us. For some of us, it's not. Some of us, eh, I don't want to take that one today. You ever get to that point? You're like, eh, I'm going to take all these other ones, but I'm not going to take that one. Right? <laughs> this is kind of the way it is. Last night I didn't take my fish oil. I have no idea why. I have no reason for it. I looked at the bottle and said, I don't want to take you today. Mm. So I, I closed the cupboard. I don't know why. There's no reason for it. And I was, I was walking away from the bottle of fish oil. I was like, and I need to take it because I you know, got cholesterol problems. And so I need to take the fish oil. But I didn't want to take it. I don't know why. I walked away from it thinking, I need to take that. Why are you not taking it? And I still walked away. I walked all the way to the living room and sat down. But let me tell you something. All the supplements that we take in this life are nothing compared to the supplements that God is talking about here. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. I guess all that to say about my fish oil is sometimes you're not going to do all these, church. I'm not blind to that because I know that sometimes I'm not going to do all these, okay? We're not going to do all of them. That's why there's so many. There's so many to help us. Because when we, when we, when we don't have one, we, we can have the other, okay? That's why knowledge of God is so important. Because the, the, the invigoration of the, the Holy Spirit to teach us what God wants and the spiritual realities that we have, right now, my faith could be shaken, by something going on in my life, your faith could be shaken by something going on in your life, but God has also given you knowledge of what He's already done so that that would help you in the present time when your faith is shaken right now. God gives you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to trust Him. 
And he gives you promise after promise after promise throughout the course of your life so that even when you're shaken now, you can always hint or you can always rely back on and think back on the promises that he's fulfilled in the past. How many of you are praying for somebody right now and that prayer has not come to pass? It has not been granted yet. Anybody? Yes, a lot of us. We're praying for something or someone right now and that prayer has not come to pass yet. But let me tell you something. Don't be shaking about that. That prayer can and will, be, it will come to pass if it is God's will for it to come to pass. But all you need to do is remember all the things He's already done to help you and give you hope and peace about the thing He will do through that prayer that you're praying. And if anything, what that prayer is doing is it's bringing your obedience to God and asking Him for the help. You're not in the world asking the world for help. You're asking God for the help. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brother, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now Peter's telling you how to walk with God here. You want to know how to walk with God? 2 Peter 1. This is how we walk with God. How to walk, he's saying be virtuous or morally and ethically upright. That's what that, that means. Morally and ethically upright. Or, how can I say it even more simply? Do the right things. Know what God wants and do those things. Knowledgeable. Knowing your faith and your God well. Right? Virtue, knowledge. Knowledgeable, knowledgeable, knowing your faith and knowing your God well. Self-controlled, not driven by whims or sinful lusts and desires. Steadfastness, not shaken by the world to deny your faith, deny your God, or deny His power. Being steadfast, unshakable, immovable, standing firm in the doctrines of God, in the truth about God. That his grace saves you. That it is not your work that saves you. It is not his work that saves you. It is not her work that saves you. It is God's work that saves you. That's steadfastness. Godliness. Living rightly with him in the world. In front of others. And in private. Ooh. I think that's maybe where we need some help. Living rightly in front of others. And in private. Because even when you're in private, who are you in front of, church? God, that's right. And I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm glad you know that. Living rightly with him in the world in front, and in, in front of others and in private, being one and the same person from room to room in your life. And then brotherly affection. We got to be brotherly affectionate, sisterly affectionate, loving your brothers and sisters in the faith, being sure to hold them up with you, to pick them up when they fall instead of kicking them when they're down. Man, there are publications out here who love to broadcast Christian failure, don't they? There are church sites, church social media sites that just love to stir the pot. Man, they love to stir it. I'm like, look at you. Look how righteous you are that you're going to put this poor man on blast. Going to kick him while he's down. Make sure everybody knows about it. Let's not do that, church. Let's lift one another up. Let's encourage one another. Not cut each other off at the knees. 
but hold on to one another, that we would help one another. Brotherly affection. And then love, which binds all these things together. Be loving without which we cannot really live and be counted as one that belongs to Christ. Did you know that if you are not loving, then you do not belong to Christ? That is just the truth of the scripture. He said that our love, our love for one another will show the world that we are his disciples. That is a deep spiritual truth. That it's our love that shows the world that we're disciples of Jesus Christ. Our love, not our hatred, not our backbiting, not our gossiping, not our cutting each other off at the knees, not our kicking each other while we're down. It's our love. That's what God wants. He wants you to love one another. And he wants you to love even those who persecute you, even those who hate you. Our love will show the world that we belong to him and that we follow after him and that we learn from him. We got to be different, church. We got to be different. Now, we're the set apart ones. Don't forget that. We are the set apart ones. We are the sanctified. We are those who are made holy by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then listen to this, verses 8 through 11. For these, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so don't just stay stagnant, church. Don't stand still, increasing. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these, listen to this, if you practice these qualities, you will, what? You will never fall. Ooh. Anybody want that to be true about their life? Sign me up. Verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you. Oh, here's another incredible promise, church. Come on with it, Lord. What is it? Verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that is a promise from God. We know the struggle and the strife that goes on in this world and that we experience in our own lives. We know the struggle that we personally go through. The struggle with our own personal sin issues. The struggle in our own families. The struggle between brothers or between sisters in families. The struggle between husbands and wives. The brokenness that we experience and the pain that we experience in the world. The division and the hostility that is ripe. We know all of this. So we need this promise for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One that goes on into forever where these things are present at all times. That's why we're looking forward to a place with no more crying and no more pain. We're looking forward to it because it lasts forever and we've never even experienced it here. This is true hope. Now, what are these qualities again? Because he says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Qualities again, okay, taken from verses 5 through 7. Faith, 
virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And what's more important, or I'm sorry, what's more is that Peter goes on to say that he's, he's telling them things to stir them up. And this is in the next verses, so I encourage you to read this when you go home. He's telling them these things to stir them up and remind them constantly about this way of life. He wants them to be reminded now and forever by writing this to them. And listen to this, Peter's reminding us now. And how? Because we have the pages of the very scripture, the very words of God given to Peter so that we could be edified by them. Now what does edified mean, right? Built up. So that we could be built up by them. Encouraged. Put together. He wants them to have the best opportunity in this life so that they can live it and we can live it for God. And I want the same thing for all of you, church, to be reminded and to live for Christ. Be reminded and live for Christ. Do it all for Christ, for His glory. All for His glory and for our own good to assure you of the calling to which you've been called. Practice these things. To assure you of your own salvation, practice these things. And to be sure that you don't fall to the temptations of the world that has been corrupted because of sinful desire, as Peter says. Live for Him every moment of every day. And when you die, die for Him. Die knowing Him. Die knowing that you'll be with Him forever. For to live is Christ, church. And to die is gain. Let's pray. God, we love you. We ask that you would be with us, Lord. That you would help us, God, with everything in our lives. Help us to come to you, O oh God. Help us to be instructed by you, O oh God. Help us to love you with everything, Lord. Everything in our life. Help us to know, O oh God, who you are. Help us to be with you, Lord, now and forever. Help us, Lord, to practice these things, to read back over this, God, and to, to know these things. Help us, God, to continue in our knowledge of you and to live as loving servants in the kingdom of God forever. Lord, make us the doulas. Help us to embody the slave of Christ that gives our own lives over to you, Lord, to do as you would instruct us to do, as you will, not as we will. Not as we will, not as we would. God, your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.